Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Like to start off the evening uh, after the sitting as we usually do with uh, Eve, if you would offer a song to, to start. Yeah. Eve Decker. Um, Thank you. Hi. Um, so this is a wonderful, we were, if you weren't here last week, um, this book that Dwayne wrote, Choosing Earth, is wonderful and it's just so, what they have to share is so wonderful. So I was thinking about what's a song that supports this vision that they're presenting to us. And um, I thought of Dave Carter's song, Gentle Arms of Eden. On a sleepy endless ocean When the world lay in a dream There was rhythm in the splash and roll But not a voice to sing And the moon fell on the breakers And the morning warmed the waves Till a single cell did jump and hum with joy as though to say, This is my home. This is my only home. This is the only sacred ground that I have ever known. And should I stray in the dark night alone? Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. Then the day shone bright and rounder Till the one turned into two And the two into ten thousand things And old things into new And on some virgin beachhead One lonesome critter crawled And she looked about and she shouted out In her most astonished drawl This is my home This is my only home This is the only sacred ground that I have ever known. And should I stray in the dark night alone, rock me goddess in the gentle arms of Eden. Then all the sky was buzzing and the ground was carpet green and the wary children of the woods came dancing in between. And the people sang rejoicing when the fields were glad with grain. This song is celebration from their cities on the plain. This is my home. This is my only home. This is the only sacred ground that I have ever known. And should I stray in the dark night alone, rock me goddess the gentle arms of Eden. Now there's smoke across the harbor, and there's factories on the shore, and the world is ill with greed and will and enterprise of war. But I will lay my burdens in the cradle of your grace, and the shining beaches of your love, and the sea of your embrace. This is my home. This is my only home, this is the only sacred ground that I have ever known. Should I stray 
gentle arms of Eden. Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. Thanks so much, Eve. <laughs> what a great introduction. And by the way, um, uh, Eve is going to be giving the, the talk uh, next week. I'll be around, uh, but I'm looking forward to her sharing the Dharma uh, as well as probably some music too. So um, it's a real uh, pleasure and um, um, I'm, I'm so looking forward to tonight as a follow-up to last week. For those who weren't here with us, uh, this is the book that I've been mentioning, Choosing Earth, Humanity's Great Transition to a Mature Planetary Civilization by uh, Dwayne Elgin. Gene Houston calls it the most important book of our time. And um, Joanna Macy, this may be the perfect moment for so prophetic a voice to be heard. And um, looking at the next 50 years, the possibilities, the sobering, realistic picture, and the, the uh, inspiring possibilities if we can, uh, if we can wake up. So, Dwayne uh, and Colleen, I'll turn it over to you, and you can then uh, share with us uh, your, your friends as well. Uh, unmute yourself. Yeah. There. Thank you, James. It's good to be here with you and with this wonderful community. Both Colleen and I have uh, sat in 10-day retreats with the Spirit Rock community uh, a number of times. So this is home. So thanks for bringing us home. Um, I'm delighted as well to have uh, two dear friends, uh, Carol Normandy and Barbara Easterlin with us this evening. And it's, their contribution will be very important as we move from the more the material side of life to the uh, psychological and spiritual. So it's very important to have their presence here. And to start us off, I want to ask Colleen if she might give us an overview introduction to what happened last week and get us started. Okay. I want you to add what you and James talked about. Well, it's very hard to summarize the work, but just to say what we covered last week was really what all of you are becoming more and more aware of, that we're entering into a whole systems crisis, and we kind of laid that out. And then the other side of it is this profound um, opportunity for creating a world in a future that will work so much better for all of us, that's more just and compassionate and really rooted in a relational consciousness that regards all of life as sacred and worth caring for. So um, I don't know if we can really go, I'd like you to add a little bit more okay. to what you would say that. Yeah, uh, as introduction and really introduction to uh, Carolyn Barb, <clears throat> uh, James asked the tough question. He said, no, run this by me again. How, how do we go <laughs> through these uh, very difficult times and wake up? Right. Now, just how does that happen? And so uh, without belaboring this, let me just suggest briefly uh, what seems to be underway. Uh, we're seeing three different uh, pathways into the future, a pathway of uh, chaos and then collapse, 
a second pathway of authoritarianism uh, empowered with artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. and a third pathway of great transition to our early ad adulthood as a, as a species. So let me just mention how those um, develop quickly. Let me mention. Um, we be begin all three pathways with where we are right now. Uh, where we are right now can unfold either into collapse, into authoritarianism, or transition. Uh, it's up to us. It's our choice. So here we are right now, though, at a time of uh, great unraveling. Uh, we're up against the wall as a species, um, uh, confronting an ecological factors more than any uh, of limits to growth. And so we're running into the world outside of ourselves, the ecology out there. And ultimately, the challenge will be to, to encounter the world within ourselves, the environmental, the, the environmental growth challenge, if you will, or the um, evolutionary growth challenge of waking up to ourselves in a new way. So the, what we see happening is that we're going to move now from a time of increasing unraveling and if that continues, it's just going to break loose and we're going to fall. So we go from a time of, of great unraveling to a great fall to fall, finally leads to great sorrow. And all three of these uh, scenarios go to the same place, a great fall, uh, a great unraveling, a great fall leading to a great sorrow. Now the chaos and collapse uh, moves beyond sorrow to just utter ruin. And that is where we face the potential extinction of the species. The second scenario, that of authoritarianism, pulls back from hitting finally the uh, point of ruin. And um, authoritarianism pulls us back and keeps us from actually just devastating fully the earth. And so we move into a time of constraint and conformity, the authoritarian future. The third future, one of great transition, we start where we are now, the unraveling, there's a great fall. And before we hit the time of uh, great sorrow, uh, we see that uh, there's not only sorrow, but there is a, a great sadness that precedes that sorrow. Uh, and that sorrow, as many of us know, having done years of, of meditation, many of us know that the sorrow can break our hearts and it can break us open to new possibilities. So the sorrow is not necessarily a bad thing. As Jer Derek Jensen said, between, um, between the loss of hope and the awakening of action is a time of great sorrow. So that sorrow can awaken us to new possibilities by breaking open our hearts opening our minds to new ways of seeing ourselves, seeing the world out there, and the evolutionary journey in here. So that's where um, the work of, of uh, Carol and Barb, uh, as well as Colleen, uh, really becomes paramount and uh, in, in importance. So with that little bit of introduction. Yeah, just, uh, I think there's a few <laughs> comments yeah. before we jump into yeah, yeah. the well, go ahead, finish no, what you were saying. Which <laughs> well, uh, we weren't quite done. Um, yeah. Well, so 
another way to frame what Dwayne is saying, that curve that comes down and goes back up because you hadn't gone mm -hmm. to the upside, is that we're moving from separation, really, into our vast interconnection. And I think as Dharma practitioners, we can really connect with that. Um, so that's part of the relational consciousness that we're moving you know, into deeper relationship with all of life. And can you say a little bit about the other side? Because that's what James was asking for. Well, uh, as we move into our maturity and uh, we move into our early adulthood, uh, one of the key qualities of someone that's moving into their maturity is that uh, they take responsibility for their own lives. And in taking responsibility for their lives, there's greater freedom in how they can behave in the world. And that's the potential that's open to us. Mm -hmm. If we will take responsibility as a planetary species for what we're doing here, uh, in taking responsibility, we then are offered a, the potential for new freedoms. And instead of moving into a world of constraint and conformity or into the other world of chaos and collapse, we have the freedom and the capacity at that point, psychologically, spiritually, to begin to recreate the lives uh, of all of us living here on the earth. And that may well take upwards of a half century before we can move into that creative realm. Could happen sooner, it could begin to happen right now, really. Um, but the uh, consciousness of the species is, in my estimation, it's just not there yet. Yeah. If I can uh, just, just uh, say, uh, putting something into context so people kind of get a, a framework of the, of the arc that you're you're talking about, and you're, you're doing it in decades, um, in your book anyway, and of course, uh, this is just um, projection and uh, estimation, but you're saying we're, we're in the great unraveling here in the 20, in 2020s, and in the 30s, that's a decade of that great fall where there's, where there's the collapse. And then the 40s will be the, you estimate will be the, that, period of that, that great sorrow. And around the 50s, you envision is the possibility for that great awakening and then choosing earth in the, in the 60s. Uh, it helped me to have that, that kind of bigger framework. And it's also been really sobering to know that any way you slice it, we're going to be probably going through those first three um, periods and there's going to be you know, tremendous suffering but out of that suffering can come that awakening so I just want to say that and now you can please proceed thank you James I think we're ready to um, move over to uh, Barbara and Carol and I'll just pose this for the tension between these is in a way our lives are lived in the polarity between both of these so the being aware and awake to the crisis and being engaged in the way that's, you know, really is resonant with our own lives. And then being awake to really just the vast opportunity here on the planet and to live in the gratitude and grace of that as well and be a force for that kind of change that we all want. And so we want to invite, um, I'll do Carol first. And okay. say about Carol and Barbara. And Carol has um, Normandy, who is here. 
Uh, we met her last fall. She graciously invited Duane and I to her home with a group of people to present. And she has um, been in our study group and is a therapist and is now uh, collaborating with us and helping us, both of them are, um, to uh, explore how we can uh, really what the gifts they have can come into the work that we're doing. Let's say that. Um, and let me just say a, a couple of words about Barb. Uh, Colleen and I have known Barb for about, I think, 27 years, a long time. Mm -hmm. Barb is a dear friend, so is her husband, Dan. And uh, it's a delight to have Barb join us and uh, a, another very skilled uh, person with deep background in psychology. I'm gonna let Barb uh, describe what that is. I won't resume to be able to uh, describe that, Barb. <laughs> so please, the two of you, uh, tell us a bit about yourselves, your background, and then we're gonna dive into the inquiry. Do you want me to say anything about the facilitation first before you guys dive in? Yeah. So um, they're gonna each take 20 minutes um, to present and work with you guys. And there'll be some time for you to speak. They'll um, open that up, please, you know, just be aware of everyone here. We'd like to get a number of people to respond. And so I'm going to actually put a timer on when somebody starts speaking. And at two minutes, I'll ring a bell that I have right here. And it's right by my microphone. So when you hear the bell, just wrap up. That'll be the indication. Okay. Um, and I think that's it. I just want to hear from a number of you. Who's going to start first? I guess Carol is. Carol, welcome. Thank you. Well, first of all, it's just an honor and pleasure to be here. And I think you've pretty covered, pretty much covered who I am, but I will add one more thing, which is I've been practicing mindfulness for a while. And about five years ago, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I had to deepen that practice to get through it. And um, that was a lovely opportunity for me to step into the practice. And then um, I had to deepen my practice again when I started facing climate emergency. In order to really show up and be present with the reality and the information and the science, I noticed that I have to practice really strongly to not go into denial, to be able to hold what is arising, to be able to have the vision of the future. And so, I see the mindfulness community as a really important community to hold this because we know how to first hold with loving awareness what is arising. And second, we know how to have a relationship with suffering that can serve us in awakening. And both those pieces are really important in facing climate emergency. So I'm gonna go ahead and read um, a passage from the book that Duane wrote. And as I read it, I'd like you just to sit and be mindful of what arises. And then we're gonna pause for a few minutes afterwards just for you to do a little bit of internal reflection. And then we're gonna open it up for comments or questions or responses and whatever arises is welcome. So um, this passage was taken from part one of the book where Duane does just an overall description of the, the transition. Despite all our good intentions, without this coming era of unprecedented suffering and adversity, 
the human family seems unlikely to awaken to our species maturity and evolutionary opportunity. The immense suffering of billions of precious human beings may burn through our complacency and sense of separation. Suffering is the fire that can awaken our compassion and fuse humanity into a cohesive global civilization. We are discovering the circle of life is closed and there is no escape from the limits to unrestrained growth. Like it or not, we must now recognize the earth as a single tightly interconnected system that is measurably breaking down and moving towards collapse. We should not be surprised we have reached a predictable overshoot of the Earth's ecology. What is not predictable is where we go from here. Looking at current trends, it seems reasonable to conclude that dark times are ahead. Have we reached the end of our evolutionary journey, a brutal and degrading conclusion to our awakening and growth as the dominant species on the earth? Have we already wrecked our chance of realizing our higher potentials as a species? Or are there other possibilities not yet widely recognized? Could humanity be going through a profound rite of passage and making the transition to a higher maturity with a new understanding of ourselves and our journey? This points to a key possibility missing from many contemporary conversations about our future. And yielding challenges contain unprecedented opportunities. And I'm just going to read that one more time. Unyielding challenges contain unprecedented opportunities. So I invite you just to take a moment and reflect on that. Just being aware of your internal response, sensations, feelings, thoughts. And then whenever you're moved, if anyone would like to comment or speak to what they're experiencing or have a question, please feel free. And you can uh, raise your hand digitally uh, if you'd like going to the participants box and you can see a raise hand um, icon. Um, and uh, or else well if you're on the first page then we can see you but and if you can please put on your your video camera uh, to help the sense of community so any responses 
there's a hand. Did you see that? Can you see that, Carol? There's Mark Jacobs, Rosa's, raises hand. Hi, um, thank you for the presentation and the, the introduction to this rich framework. What I'm contemplating is the, um, the fear that tends to be sparked by sorrow, which I think is much of what we're living through you know, at this moment. And the, the, um, the ease with which um, authoritarians, which I, I understand is one of your you know, potential futures, the ease with which authoritarians can turn sorrow, can turn on the fear when people feel the sorrow. And um, uh, of course we have multiple ways to go, but how, how, do, how, do you, how do you shape a collective response to sorrow that is one of you know, breaking opening the heart and moving towards connection and love as opposed to moving towards contraction and fear? I think that's a really important question, Mark, because in the face of impending trauma or suffering, our natural response is fight, flight, freeze, regression. And so this is the challenge. And I think this is the practice for all of us is to start with the practice of awakening to our own internal transformation and relationship around this. Because as Duane mentioned, we're talking to both an internal transformation to happen and a collective transformation. So part of the work that we're trying to do is to help people understand a mapping of the natural response and how to work through the grief and fear to come to the other side of an open heart, a greater awareness, an interconnection, so that people can learn how to step through that process without going into regression and reactive behaviors, which end up in self-harm or other harm. Barbara, do you want to add to that? Well, I think, um, you know, there, so, so the one piece of this is that um, Carol and I and other um, mental health professionals who work in our offices daily with, um, uh, you know, people coming in uh, with concerns about their children right now during the pandemic and during COVID, that there's a natural response to that, which is um, feeling worried and a lot of anxiety. And, um, you know, so there's one, one part of it, of course, is working with our own feelings and opening to those feelings and therapeutically, you know, kind of assisting people with coping skills and uh, developing resilient skills, uh, meaning like, you know, flexibility around it, not getting stuck on it, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, and then uh, being able to do things in one's, mobilize one's activities in one's own life to feel a little bit more empowered, you know, so whatever that means, you know, not to be prescriptive about that, but to be able to take some action, um, whether it's, you know, like being involved in politics right now or, uh, you know, change efforts or some kind of uh, awakening, you know, like you, you all are sitting and uh, regularly, I would imagine, you're working with James and, um, you know, working with your own feelings in some sort of open, receptive way. So I'm not sure if that answers the question, um, but I think what the, what the question was coming from was like, how do we avoid that sort of, uh, you know, uh, 
movement towards, a, you know, this authoritarian, did I get it right, Mark, you know, sort of movement towards, uh, you know, some sort of um, darker authoritarian sort of slip into kind of existential dread. And, you know, that's certainly uh, something that, you know, is there and you have to kind of watch your own reactivity when those feelings come up, right? Mark, was that, um, has your question been answered? Is there anything else you'd like to say about that? I'm not sure there is an answer to the question. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's about how we try internally and, and collectively to, to work our way through the variety of, you know, feelings and reactions we have. And, you know, I, I see here, you know, trying to uh, um, consider the resources that we have available to us in terms of mindfulness and so forth to be able to help to shape those, those reactions. So. Right. And I think that COVID was a beautiful example of, a, a, you know, a practice run, so to speak. I mean, we had many people who are stepping up with very, um, you know, kind responses, compassionate responses, looking towards a greater good, you know, being very thoughtful in their responses to each other. And then we've had other people who haven't responded in that way. And so we, we have this mixture of responses. And I think that this is, I mean, personally, this is one of the reasons why I'm choosing to put time and energy into this, um, Peace and there, there's so many layers of the social construct which are happening right now: economic justice, social justice, racial justice that are unfolding at this time. And so, the more that we can each individually start this practice, and the more we can hold as it starts to unfold. Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, uh, well, I and I just want to say while we're waiting for somebody else to. Uh, jump in with a question that, uh, as is often said, uh, th this resurgence of mindfulness now, this this um, incredible explosion of mindfulness, so that it's you know in in the in the lexicon for for everywhere uh, and everyone uh, is coming just at the right time because that is a key to the whole this whole transition that we're not only just waking up to reality, but we're waking up to having some tools to be able to be present for what's going on and not, not running away or, you know, flight, fright or, or, or feet or freeze. Um, so, um, so we, we have the medicine and then it's, is we're ambassadors of having as much, consciousness in the world as possible to deal with with what we're about to face. James, I'd add just a quick comment that the um, number of teachers there at Spirit Rock have commented that the outer world reflects our inner condition. And so if the outer world is fragmented and uh, confusing and chaotic, that surely says something about the inner, inner condition of the masses of people in our society. And we can see, for example, the authoritarian impulse is very prominent in the United States right now. Uh, it isn't something a half century from now, it is present right now. 
and we can see the breakdown and collapse beginning. So the, the chaos and collapse is here right now. And so the outer world reflects the inner condition. If our inner condition can evolve, it can then be reflected in the outer world. So the obverse is then true. And the meditation to find a place of peace, compassion, and, and great uh, gratitude for the world in which we live can then find its expression in the outer world. So uh, these two live uh, side by side within one another, if you will. And uh, the work now being done with uh, mindfulness, meditation and such to clear away the, the inner world is, is a powerful way to then bring that healing uh, capacity into the outer. So, um, good job. If only it were that easy. <laughs> <laughs> and Sangha is, is so crucial because if you're just in the inner world within yourself, it gets really lonely and scary. But when you're with others and realize you're not alone, there's a kind of connection that, that itself is contagious. I agree. I think this is the importance of building community and building community around the specific issue. And this is part of part of the power that we do have with social network and the internet. And as, as Dwayne talks at the end of his book, communication is being able to building this network of mindful awareness and how to hold it internally and collectively. Mm -hmm. Linda, was there something that you wanted to say? Oh, sorry. I, I, uh, I just un I just muted her, uh, Linda. You can you can unmute if you have anything to say, or anyone else who, um, if you want to raise your hand and uh, and bring something up. I'm curious about your own internal responses as we discuss this and as I'm reading this. What are you aware of rising? Are you you know, do you notice feelings coming up? Do you notice fear or anxiety or grief or, yeah, I already know this, or pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral? What are you aware? I'm curious to know, what are you aware of arising as we discuss this? Oh, you got the hand up. Uh, there you go. Um, Let's see. Put my hand up. Yeah. Tom? Yeah, I, uh, <clears throat> well, I, it just occurred to me as you're talking, because I, I really appreciate the fact that you've brought the psychology aspects into it, because I don't, you know, I don't think for most people out there that are on the fringes of, of Dharma practice or mindfulness or not at all, um, I, I think the psychological aspect is, is really, really important. Um, to help people deal with the, their pain um, because so much of our pain is, you know, conditioned responses and whatnot, as you know. And so uh, it seems like it's a, it's a dual path in a way, you know, that we have to recognize that aspect of ourselves, get the help to help, help us mature, as, uh, as uh, Dwayne's talking about, and, um, and, uh, and then you know, embrace the, the practice, of, of course, but um, that I find that uh, 
people are not really there yet. <laughs> and maybe this is what Dwayne's talking about. I, I don't think there's, I, I, I appreciate uh, James, what you're saying, that there is a resurgence. I, I feel it too, you know, there's it's a tremendous, but I, I'm kind of in the middle of it. And so I, I'm very cognizant of all these things going on in the mindfulness movement. <clears throat> but there's a lot of people out there that aren't, even, even people, you know, close friends of mine and family and whatnot, you know, are not really embracing it. They don't quite, you know, get that message that there's a, there's a avenue or path here, you know, of dealing with this kind of uh, chaos that we're, we're struggling with. Um, right. So, yeah. So, Tom, I think that that's a really good point. I think, you know, for, for, for most people, me included, is that there's a dissonance, kind of a cognitive dissonance that comes up when we look at, you know, our everyday choices that we're making, you know, we're still consuming, we're still, you know, edging out, you know, sort of the nature's ability to, you know, provide for us. And, you know, we, it's hard to come into contact, you know, with the feelings that come up around that, the guilt or the shame or the, you know, whatever that is. So, you know, we tend to kind of push it away, avoid it, not want to look at it, compartmentalize it in some way. You know, we have a lot, you know, humans are really well armed with a ton of defenses when we're faced with a challenge that we don't know what to do with, right? And those, those are the kinds of things that, you know, mindfulness, I think, really does help penetrate a bit. So, you know, I think um, if we can give people psychological tools to confront, you know, that a little bit more gently and with a little bit more optimism and a little bit more sort of, it's okay to have those feelings and normalize those feelings. It's easier for people to kind of come into the fold and say, okay, what can I do about this? You know, rather than turn away from it. So I appreciate your, your comment. I think that's really true. Barbara, I want to do a time check. We have two more hands. Should we have one more person share and then shift it over to your reading? Okay, I'm going to, Serena, you have your hand up. You know, I'm really feeling a bit pessimistic. Uh, tonight I was just with uh, three people that I necessarily spend a whole lot of time with and my sister at a dinner and uh, the level of consciousness uh, that wouldn't even consider any of these ideas. And my sense is that a lot more people in the world are like them than, than like people who do mindfulness and you know, who are interested in being aware of their feelings and thoughts and the effect they have on the environment, etc. So I'm, to be honest with you tonight, I'm really kind of feeling very disconnected and very pessimistic about uh, there being uh, an effect. I, I almost feel like we're speaking a different language than these other people speak. And uh, I don't know what the connection is going to be because it's like totally different worlds. So that's, I, I just needed to say that because that's the way it felt. Thank you. So I, I appreciate you naming that. Here it is, pessimism, right? Here it is. Um, the challenge feels so huge. And I think this is a normal part of this process. 
And I, I, this is why community and Sangha is so important, so that we can stay connected with people who do hold this awareness in the way that is meaningful to us, and that we can support each other in holding this awareness in a way that is meaningful to us. And consciousness grows. And as we awaken, we give ourselves the opportunity to awaken and everyone else around us. And so I appreciate you naming that. Thank you. So I think Barbara? it's time to switch to Barbara, maybe. Yeah, yeah. timing-wise. Right. <laughs> Hi. Um, yeah, so uh, Duane introduced me. I've known uh, Colleen and Duane for a long time. I've been a long-time meditator myself, I think since uh, 1981, when I went to my first retreat with James and Jack in the desert down in Southern California when I was... <laughs> 22 years old or so. <laughs> so. So it's been a long time. And, um, you know, what brings me to this work is I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist. I just moved to Jackson. I still see clients uh, via Zoom. Um, you know, when I have a bit more time right now to really dedicate to this piece of what humanity and the rest of the species on the planet are going through and, uh, you know, deeply held feelings about bringing uh, uh, positive psychological responses to, um, you know, to the enormity of this problem, because it, it's very easy to get tipped, and I can find myself feeling that myself, uh, you know, into the pessimism or into the hopelessness, into the despair, and um, there are things that we can do that can really help us kind of stay, ride the wave a little bit more forward into kind of a feeling of, uh, hopefulness, uh, use our imaginations. And I think Colleen and Duane's work really provide that kind of a, um, a structure and a, a, a format for, for being able to hold all of this without feeling you know, completely swept over by it. So, um, so I'm, I'm happy to be a part of this work. Thanks for including me. Um, I wanted to read a, um, another little segment from Choosing Earth. Uh, and um, you know, it's one I think that you know, as mindfulness practitioners, you all can relate to. So uh, I know I'm preaching to the choir a bit here, but there's something in their work that's really different than, you know, what we hear from, uh, you know, kind of the, you know, the, 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 the large scale studies about what's going on on the planet that, you know, show the degradation of, you know, of, uh, resources. What they're bringing forward is that there's something in us that's separate. And I think Carol, you you're in your reading, you kind of mentioned that too, that we this separation, you know, that we feel like we're not part of it in some way is is key to kind of stay attuned to. And I think with um, meditation practice, Buddhist meditation practice, that's a core tenant is um, to you know kind of stay attuned to um, and pay attention to if we if we actually use our attention deeply enough, what we find is that there is no separation between this, what's going on here in this body, this head, this, this mind, and, and uh, you know, and, and, you know, kind of the all-pervasive non-duality of it. So um, let me read this to you, and I hope that it'll, it'll, uh, you'll recognize something in your own practice in it. So Duane writes, <clears throat> importantly, the awakening of consciousness does not end with mindfulness or reflective attention. Beyond a reflective consciousness and the polarity of watcher and watched or observer and observed, there can grow a unitive consciousness. If we persevere with sustained mindfulness, 
the distance between, the between observer and observed gradually diminishes until we become a single integrated flow of experience. As the knower and that which is known converge and become one in experience, we become inseparable from that which we have been observing. Because the universe is a profoundly unified whole, we are simply allowing our conscious knowing to coincide with that which is being known. We let go of objectifying reality as something to be witnessed out there and accept that it can be directly experienced in here, in here. We move beyond reflecting on and move into the experience of coinciding with. If we are watching the world move through the throes of painful transition, we become one with the ocean of suffering and will work to alleviate that suffering. So something in us becomes touched when we really kind of enter into that unitive experience that mindfulness brings us to or paying attention closely at our concentration practice. Swimming in the larger ocean of life, we know intuitively that if the earth is suffering, we are all bathing in an ocean of subtle suffering. We recognize that our experience of life is permeable and that we share in whatever measure of happiness or sorrows being created for the whole. So I don't know if that touches, you know, sort of your practice. It does mine, uh, you know, my, my own meditation practice of, um, you know, uh, non-dual awareness or awakened awareness that, we, that we're not separate from it. And once we kind of feel that, then there's no, it, it, it feels relatively natural, you know, to, to, to want to help this planet and everything that exists on it. So I wonder, you know, when you hear that, you know, what, what does that touch in you? I mean, I, again, I think I'm preaching to the choir here, but um, just in terms of kind of opening that doorway, what, what does this bring up for you all in your bodies and your somatic experience and in your thinking and feeling? Uh, Charmaine has her hand up. Unmute, unmute yourself. I'm just uh, overwhelmed, period. Mm -hmm. And uh, no matter, you know, the meditation period is fine, but you can't do it 24-7. You have to be out in the world and the the non-duality that is even more overwhelming that when I become a part of it there's so much that I have to deal with that uh, I can't I just can't I think you're right Charmaine I think you can't I, we can't and, yeah and yeah. it's um right. I almost don't want to know more now it's um I mean it um I've recently found uh, an image that I can identify with what I'm feeling in this, you know, for me, is the Holocaust. There was so much denial and, and, and there's, there was so much death. And uh, so it, I got in touch with, okay, this is what it is. It's, it's, it's horrible. And 
um, it's like this, uh, this other person was talking about having dinner. I mean, even my close friends, it's all superficial, mm -hmm. you know, it's all superficial. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm walking around as a depressed person with all this. And um, I don't want to be around people that way. You know, I want, it's my love that I want to put out there. And I just have, have difficulty with that. You know, yeah. it's just a hard thing. And um, yeah, I, and time, you know, uh, James was talking about 20, 20, 20, 30, 20, 40. We're not, I'm not going to be here, you know, when it even touches it because th there's so few of us. I, I know this is, <laughs> but it's the way I'm feeling. And I, I you know, um, thank God for the, for the sangas. And I feel like, a, a, you know, I'm okay again. Oh, I'm not alone. And then when I shut this off, it's like it's gone. And um, that's just the way it is. I know. It's just, I'm really struggling with it. And I'm almost afraid to read um, Duane's book. Um, it sort of reminds me of, uh, James mentioned, uh, what's her name? The one that had a good review. Um, Gene Houston, okay. Yeah, Gene Houston, The Possible Human. You remember that book? <laughs> I mean, we were so excited, but I was so much younger. And so I, I feel, and I'm, you know, I feel so much more, and I am so connected that... Um, Thank you. you know. Charmaine, I just want to say, well said. <laughs> you know, really, I think, um, you know, you're speaking from uh, the lived experience that many of us are living with, which yeah. is too much sometimes, right? So I just yeah. want to say, I, I, I'm with you and I probably most of the people on, in their streams are with us, with you. But you were saying a few minutes ago, there are tools. Yeah. You know, one of them is meditation. But what are those tools? Yeah, so, you know, actually, they've been, they've, in the last five years, um, even the American Psychological Association, a really pretty conservative group, has come up with um, some, uh, you know, approaches to this. They do include community. So having Sangha is a really big one. Being able to talk with people about your feelings and normalize them among your friends. Like, yeah, I'm feeling this. Are you feeling that, right? Um, you know, the ability to kind of... Um, use a sangha or you know a therapist or a good friend to explore your underlying beliefs that somehow you're too small to do anything about it right that's a really important thing to do i do that i have that that's good i am a therapist yeah i, mean, I would i would i would add charmaine just to speak from my own personal experience when i read duane and colling's book and i was going through the 20 30 40 years yeah I had to titrate my day. I had to find a way to ground myself in something beautiful or meaningful about five to six times a day to get through the day. So what we're talking what about, 
Right. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I go to both, you know, I go wet, walk the wetlands. If I don't walk the wetlands yeah. every day, I won't survive the day. That's yeah. right. So being in nature, you know, is a really good yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So the restorative effects of being with nature are really important to us, right? And it, it the, really the, the separation isn't there. I feel connected to those birds. You know, I'm, I'm part of it all and it's okay, yeah. you know? Right. <laughs> the other thing is, I think everybody, you know, we all try to do this in our various ways and yeah. know, a good prescription for this, but, you know, making, and, and I imagine that you were doing this as well, um, you know, making that shift in, into, you know, some sort of, um, you know, constructive response, you know, to it, you know, what, what, however we do that in our lives. And there are so many different ways that we can do that in our lives. And then not feeling like that's nothing, right? Because I think that's the part that kind of uh, makes us feel helpless sometimes is that, oh, my small part is nothing, you know? And the truth mm -hmm. is that the small part is additive and your small part, my small part, and everybody's small part, you know, adds up to something really great. So being able to kind of hold that place. And then when you're yeah. confronted, like Serena was talking about with people who are in denial about it or don't want to look at it, you know, um, speak up about it, you know, as much as you can. I find, I've been finding myself doing that since my, I've been working with Colleen and Dwayne over the last couple of years. And so family members or friends, not in any kind of combative way, but just bringing voice to it. Um, that, you know, actually here are some facts, you know, <laughs> and, and let's talk about it a little bit, but not in a way that, you know, makes everyone uncomfortable. uncomfortable. I'm, I'm just saying there's a couple of more hands and uh, Lee particularly, she had her hand up before. Thank you, Barbara. Mm -hmm. uh, Charmaine, I really appreciate what you were saying and the spirit of what you were saying. And um, I'm very struck by um, another group that I've been participating in. And we held, they held a grief ritual kind of based on Joanna Macy's work. And for me, it was so important. It, it, it was to hold a space where we could just really tap into our own grief in a ritualized safe space that was part of Sangha. And I was able to, to connect with grief. Uh, you know, even though I know it's here and I feel it, I was able to experience it and be witnessed in it in a way that was um, still, it was a week ago, but it still feels so um, present and potent in me to feel the depth of that grief. And so I, I also feel, so I, I kind of feel as I'm listening to people and really appreciating, I'm feeling the, the gift of um, holding rituals that acknowledge our grief and share it that becomes embodied and really full-hearted embodied um, so that that's what was coming up for me yeah I'm I'm with you on that uh, Colleen and Dwayne had Francis Weller come and do a grief ritual with our group and it was quite powerful so the ritual aspect of it bringing and being witnessed in it can really unlock you know kind of the underlying uh, life and joy actually that, that's residing under this kind of pall of grief and despair I appreciate that, Lee. And, and uh, just bringing up Joanna's work, um, as she, she talks about her spiral, it, it's it also having gratitude and seeing all the, the goodness and the beauty in, in life reminds us why we 
why we care so much. And we have to, as I think was mentioned before, have to nourish ourselves with, uh, with all the, the goodness and, and the, the love that, that's around in order to have a bigger context to even hold the grief. As she says, it's, she starts with gratitude and then feeling the pain and the grief and then metabolizing that and going into and seeing with fresh eyes the possibilities and then going forth and being engaged in, in, in action that there's, you can't just focus on, on how awful things are, but uh, refreshing your spirit and um, uh, inspiring uh, yourself. That was one of the things that I really love about the, uh, the book that although it's really, it weighs there's an at least an inspiring vision and and at least whatever we do towards that as i i, I think i said last week what i often say we're all going to wake up sooner or later everyone even the deniers and so whatever we can do to make it on the sooner side at least we're putting some positive contribution towards towards that end and we can feel good about that I do want to say that uh, that Duane's book is not um, all gloom and doom, and in fact, it comes to a fairly um, positive resolution that provides a lot of structure and support around making that change towards, um, you know, the, the, what he calls a great transition, and that it, in part, it's up to us to imagine that great transition and to hold it, you know, to hold the the vision of that that it can happen. Now, it's not going to happen just because it's in our imagination, right? We have to ground that in real action. But um, I do want to say, Duane's book really inspired me to be able to kind of hold the view that this can happen in a positive way. And it doesn't have to happen in 2070. <laughs> Another process I want to just mention, James, um, you probably remember a year ago, you did that day long at Spirit Rock and you had the um, the video of Venerable Analio. Yes. Remember that? Yeah, and he spoke to his practice of going back and forth between being in the compassionate heart with the grief and the sadness and the loss, and then moving into the emptiness and the greater awareness. Mm -hmm. That was such a beautiful teaching to me of how we can move back and forth and how important moving back and forth is to be able to stay um, in the game. Beautiful, yes, and, and uh, you're reminding me, for those who haven't seen it, he wrote a book uh, uh, called Mindfully Facing Climate Change, where he goes into very, you know, very deep uh, exploration of how the Dharma and classical Dharma and, uh, as well, but how the practice can be used to both open to all the pain and not turn our eyes away, be willing to feel it, but also to have um, a positive vision that can engage and turning that compassion uh, into uh, into action. So I, I highly recommend Analio's Mindfully Facing Climate Change. Maybe I'll, I'll put it in the, uh, in the box. So we just have a few minutes uh, left and I want to make sure that you say everything that, uh, or 
things that you want to say, uh, uh, Dwayne, Colleen, and, and, and Barbara and Carol? I just have a, a big thank you uh, for Barb and Carol <clears throat> and for this community and for James coalescing yeah. uh, this community of practice. And for um, James's years of work um, on behalf of the Dharma and on behalf of the earth. So we're, uh, we're fans of James and yeah. we encourage you to <laughs> continue. Back at you. Well, thank you. Yeah, you've inspired me very much, both of you. So, uh, I guess um, any other uh, last words? Um, otherwise, we'll, we can dedicate uh, our time here together. Okay, so why don't we just uh, take a moment and, uh, and choose Earth in our hearts, <laughs> just um, getting in touch with the fact that we have Sangha, we have good like-minded friends who care, we're part of a, a much greater network all around the planet, millions and millions and millions of people who care. Billions. And feeling a part of that network. And our own practice here as we come together, all of the good hearts and collective mm, intention to make this a better planet whatever we've helped create here together, may it radiate out and be shared with all beings, human, non-human, and this planet as well that wants to support us so well if we do our part to let that happen. for the benefit of all beings and the planet. So thank you so much, uh, Dwayne, Colleen, Carol, Barbara, and, and all. Um, keep holding a positive vision. It's the thing that will sustain us. Uh, and thanks for your part in, in helping make that happen, uh, our guests. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.